My name is Angela Bucciolato, and I'm your host here of That's Business. I'm so excited. This is my very first episode, and our guest here, Nick Jetta, is actually the reason behind this podcast where he's pushed me to do this. So I'm super excited to have him as our very first guest. So as a background, Nick is the co-founder of Unemployable. He's the CMO at Numa Media. And what he specializes in is demand generation, systems development, and working with building organizations up. Now, Nick has grown into being a really good friend of mine, so I'm really excited to have them. He's had quite the fascinating career already. Super pumped to have you, man. So we'll get right into it. But tell us just a little bit about you. I could talk about you for days, but from your point of view, how are you at the point you're at in your career right now? My goodness. Well, Angela, one, it is a pleasure. Uh, we've been talking about this since July. In a while, yes. July of 2021, <laughs> and now it's January 5th of 2022, where we're finally pulling the trigger. So pleasure to be your first guest. Pleasure to be here. When we met, the point I was at in my career was kind of like all over the place. Mm-hmm. Now being CMO for NUMA, still doing a lot of my own you know, consulting on the side with select clients. Of course, you guys being one of them. But yeah, it started. I mean, I went to art school as a freshman in college and I was like, okay, I'm going to be a film major. I'm going to play around in movies, see how it goes. After about a year there and $30,000 later, yikes! I was like, this is a lot of money mm-hmm. for something that is very like community driven. Like, yeah, there's a skill behind it, but just like so much of it is who you know and what you can do. And a lot of it you don't need you know, it's art, the community, like you can make your own luck in that space where I kind of realized it. And I was like, okay, if there's anything I want to do here, I'll figure it out myself and ended up um, at Michigan Tech up in Houghton, Michigan, way north. And family lives up here, friends are here. I was like, all right, we'll try something new. Good at biology in high school, tried to be a bio major pre-med. And after about three semesters, I was like, absolutely not. Like essentially failing out of college, me and the yeah. boys were thinking all the time. Like, <laughs> You had your fun. Yeah, it was... It was a learning experience. So that was back in like 2015. And then 2016, things kind of switched. Okay. I was like, all right, I like to talk to people. I (laughs) have a lot of conversations. I can sell almost anything in the entire world. So I'm going to go into marketing. And that was kind of the kick. Um, Met a guy first semester as a marketing major who was like, sure, I'll give you a shot. Like, come work for me and we'll do some stuff like at a manufacturing plant. The kind of things we were working on was like way too advanced for somebody like in their space, but it was a huge learning experience. I'm sure. Yeah. And then just kind of rolled from there, worked for a government contracting place. Uh, We did a lot of, it was like, it was engineering and manufacturing for the DOD, um, Mm -hmm. basically everybody in the military. Started there and then graduated college, did agency life for a year. And that's kind of what brought me to where I am now. Was there for a while, thought I wanted to live the agency life, which I did and now do, but it was a totally different experience. Okay. Didn't really love the business direction there was going. I really wanted fast growth. Uh, We didn't work with clients the way I wanted to work with clients and decided to take my own leave. We met last year of like, uh, I think it was November of 2020. I was like, all right, screw this job, screw everything. (laughs) I'm going to go be self-employed and figure it out. Right. I think it was like the middle of December ended up being my Mm -hmm. 12-month anniversary of self-employment. But met David and Numa, and now we're kind of here. We're kind of here, right? Now, I get this a lot, obviously, being a resume writer and working with a lot of people who just don't know what they want to do when they grow up. What kind of got you to the point of being, lack of better terms, screw this, I'm going to do my own thing? or Because that was the biggest issue for me was I got fired from my job. I was like, hell no, I cannot do this on my (laughs) own. But what kind of got you to that point of knowing this was the right path? So there's two pieces of it. Mm -hmm. One of it comes down to my mom and sister are both life coaches. Oh, I didn't know that. I'm surrounded by a family of entrepreneurs who are like, you can do whatever you want all the time. <laughs> and so it just kind of like really was like set in stone. My mom was like, just do this, just do this. And like to have a parent support you, oh, yeah. like, hey, mm-hmm. leave your job, you'll figure it out. I'm not going to help you, but like, you'll do fine. Right. So like, that was help that I, like, I just like had the support. But I think the other thing was just like, I always thought differently. Right. I was like, if we could just do this, like I'm seeing it work in other spaces. I want to try this here. If I could just go and do like, I'm going to figure it out. And if I don't figure it out, I start. Right. Like those are the two differences. And so I was like, okay, I think my thoughts are different enough. I think my product will be different enough. And if anything, I'll at least provide some sort of positive impact for somebody where like, this can't fail. Right. And it was just kind of like blind hope and trust that I'm going to figure this out. And if I don't know how to do it, I'm going to learn it 
really fast. That's true. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so it kind of took the leap, but I think it was just easy because I had the amount of support and the confidence that even if I suck, it's not going to kill me. That's true. And it does make a big difference because I remember when I got fired, it was the people I thought would support weren't always the most supporting. And the people that just came out of the woodworks and supporting was like, you know, you got it. You would have thought, I mean, this may not be the best joke to make, but you would have thought like something detrimental happened or someone died. Like I had people calling every single week and I feel like you had that good background too of people supporting you being like, hell yeah, you got this. What can we do to help? And that kind of, I mean, you reflect that too. I remember showing up to Easter five months into self-employment and my dad's like, you applying to jobs? Oh my God. Yes. No, this is what I'm doing now. This is like, I've got it figured out. I'm making money. We're surviving. But it was just like, so funny. He's like, so still going well. I'm like, yep. I haven't called you for money. Everything's working out. Right. I mean, not to sugarcoat it, right? Like I'm at the time I was 25. I have no responsibility. I live in Houghton, Michigan. My rent's almost zero. Right. Like, I think I, my total bills a month will come up to like 1800 bucks. Like it's cost me nothing to live. <laughs> right. Low cost of living. Right. <laughs> yeah. So I'm like no responsibilities other than feeding myself and feeding my dog. So like it wasn't as big of a risk as of course sure. people with families and mm-hmm. you know, you got to support five kids and it's pretty hard to make that transition. Right. But I will also say that like, I think the reason that it's worked out to this point is that I've been making decisions towards the thing that I actually want. Sure. Instead of being like, oh, I really want that. I'll start working on it tomorrow. It was mm-hmm. like, okay, I want to do that. What are some things I can do today that'll lead up to them? It's like, okay, finally put me in a place where I can make that decision to leave the job or go to the thing. Like how much do I need to learn before I can make that transition and like start to get the ball rolling? Right. Or even I literally, right before we got on this, I'm telling my friend who may be sick and is forced to work still. And it's just a horrible, horrible environment. I'm like, do the math of how much you need to make daily and survive off that. We did the math. It's like 60 bucks for all of her bills. And she lives really, really cheap too. Um, Sounds like you too. But and it's just like, there's so many options and people just feel like you have to have like this perfect work history and you have to have this perfect degree and everything. And it's like most of the most successful people I personally work with just don't have the traditional background, didn't go to school, you know, 20 years in the career, they're like, screw this, I'm going to do something else. Or even you being so young, and I was young business owner, still am too. You can make it work. It's it sucks. It's not easy. I worked three jobs at one point. But I had to do that because I have higher cost of living. And I didn't want my house foreclosed on. But (laughs) it's not glamorous, but it works. Yeah, one of the things that I've lived by, and it was taught to me by another mentor. So I taught a college class, like fall of 2020. Wow, they trusted you with that? I know. It was crazy. It was like, <laughs> like a marketing 3000 class. And I was like, okay, but I was terrified. Like as extroverted as I am, public speaking and like teaching a subject rock me. Really? Okay. But my mentor told me this like great thing and I carry it with me everywhere, but it's like people will rarely remember what you said to them, but they will always remember how you made them feel. Mm. And so I like walk into basically like you know, what you're talking about is like, people think they need this perfect resume. It's like, not always, right? If you can be a positive asset to somebody's day, company, whatever, like you can always learn the skill, you can learn the hard work ethic, like you can learn whatever, but if you can show up and actually make the space a better place, Mm -hmm. more often than not, they're going to want you incorporated on their team in some way, shape or form. Oh, it's so true. And I think too many people like put the emphasis on like, what do I do? And not enough on like, who can I be in the situation? Right. And like, yeah, companies want somebody who's going to carry out the task. Sure. Like if you can do it to 40% of the way, you can learn the other 60. I like that. I'm going to use that. I'm going to steal that. Yeah. I mean, it's something like I've, I don't think I've ever, I've never had a job based on my resume. I had one internship based on my resume and everything else I've ever done has been like, hey, we met, we vibed. Can you try this one project to see whether or not you can accomplish it? And then once it's accomplished, we move forward. I mean, I can attest that of what I liked you because you posted about not being employable. And Nick was at, Nick at the time, just a little backstory, was looking for a small business completely free to be a guinea pig for his marketing program. I'm like, all right, I like this dude's stuff. Like, I don't know what he's about, but he's just lighting up LinkedIn. So like, hell yeah, let's let's jump on it and do it. And when that program ended, I was sad. I was like, well, I really like talking with you. And you're like mad inspiring. And I just like, I get shit done after talking with you. So I feel like it's blossomed into this beautiful friendship, all from me just like reaching out and us just like talking over LinkedIn, which sounds weird to say. But I don't know about you, but I feel I've made friends off LinkedIn and people look at me that aren't in the world and they're like, excuse me, what? I'm like, no, it's worked out. I meet David off LinkedIn and now, you know, I mean, look at us 11 months later and we're 
on like a full blown terror. You are. <laughs> it's been a lot of fun. But yeah, LinkedIn's a powerful place. It is. Well, perfect segue into Numa. They are kicking ass, you guys. They did $1.1 million in business last year. And what David's been, and David's the owner of Numa, but what have you been in business for a year? Two years? That's yeah, a 12 month staple. Yeah. How how did you guys get to this point or what's kind of did you find was really successful or I mean, obviously, you're very people driven, but talk to us on that. Yeah, I don't want to speak for David. I think that he has probably a little bit of a different look at it than I do because we're coming from different positions. Right. He sees a different angle of the business than I do. So, you know, from CMO standpoint, from the marketing end of things, you know, still doing a lot of customer experience, project management. I mean, the thing that makes Numa so special and I'll tell us to everybody is like, our ability to adapt is insane. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. We make decisions so fast. Where every other company I've worked with, as far as like being my clients to being involved in, it's always like, great, let's get this done by the next two weeks or by the end of the month. And with Numa, everyone's like, can we implement this by end of day? Oh, And so we're moving at like that very extreme speed where Mm -hmm. every time we come up with an idea that's going to benefit the business, why would we wait to implement it? If it's going to make us better tomorrow, let's get it done today. Mm-hmm. I think it hurts our client, like, or it doesn't hurt our clients, but I think they get annoyed when we're like, we tell them something one week <laughs> and then we've learned over the seven days. And we're like, we know we told you that, but we're going to pivot because overall it's right. a better end result. So right. I think our ability to like adapt and change so fast has been really, really beneficial. Mm-hmm. And also at the end of the day, like we just, it's culture driven. Like we mm-hmm. hire well and we have strong, strong systems. Mm-hmm. Right? Like the way that we operate our company, we will spend the five hours at the front to make sure that it takes us no time throughout the rest of the year for everybody else that would do the 30 second task a hundred thousand times through the entire year. Right. So we've just built it in a way that everything runs so smoothly, or we have like a standard operating procedure for every single thing that goes on in the business. If we do it, like Angela, you're our client, we're building you a website. If you ask us at any point in this process, whether or not we have it documented so you could see it and copy it, we have the document that we could send you in under 30 seconds. Like that level of documentation where like if we hire somebody new, they can come into the company, learn the entire company in under a month and then operate. And if they don't know how to do something, they can go back and look at it. That's huge. Yeah. It's I, like I tell a lot of people now, right? Like 80%, I think of business success is reliant on systems. And then you have 10% Mm -hmm. on billing and 10% on culture and talent. But those systems basically allow you to not screw up. And they give you a point of reference for if something does screw up, you can look back and go, okay, what piece of this process do we need to tweak in order to make sure it doesn't happen again? And making those data-driven decisions, I mean, I think where a lot of business owners go wrong is it's like, yes, you can wing it to a point, but you don't have that written down or, you know, you have to make the perfect hire or you have to have like this person on paper. And it's just like, it's just a time waster. I mean, time is money. I love, you know, the whole theory of opportunity cost is absolutely true. And that's how we operate. And we're improving our processes, procedures. And we've worked personally with Nick for uh, building out our policies and procedures and then NUMA to redo the website. And I cannot explain how flawless this execution has been. And the fun thing throughout the process, at least on my end, Nick, I don't know if I've shared this with you, but when you guys signed me up and, you know, did the onboarding, I'm like, damn, like you guys do it really well. Like this is pretty, I'm having a good time. And I implemented some of it into our business. And I think that's awesome that like learning from other businesses that do it better than you. And I know what I know and I don't know what I don't know, but that's where I think a lot of people just waste time or just like, oh, I'll figure it out. Why figure it out? Someone else figured it out. Just yeah. talk to them and ask them for it. And you guys have been huge asset for that. So I think one more piece to that of like where we've really found a lot of success. And I, this is something I don't see other businesses do almost ever is like, yeah, sure. We're a data-driven company. Right. I would say 80% of our data is anecdotally driven from clients. Right. So we have onboarding, offboarding forms. We're talking to people like before, like if they book a meeting with us for any reason, we're gathering every single piece of information about their thought process as to why. And if they don't, right. if they leave us, we want to know why. At the end of a project, we're taking offboarding forms. And like everything that somebody says to us, we're either implementing or at least writing down as like a note and like trending that data. We're not saying, oh, people came through the website. Let's drive more people to the website. It's, hey, they really like this aspect of the process. How can we do more of that throughout the entire right. customer experience? 
And so it's like everything that we're doing is based off of what our clients experience. And it's not based off what we want to do or what's worked well for other companies. Like we don't care what's worked well for other companies if it's not going to work for us. Right. It's not a one size fits all. I mean, every business, even within the same industry, it's still different. So Mm -hmm. that's where uh, I think people go wrong too. And then I want to talk about hiring because this is the number one problem I have from friends that are business owners, Mm -hmm. at least is it's like, well, I want this person to have all these skills. And you and I have talked about this where making the hiring decisions, I hire off personality. I'm very much like, do you mesh well with us? How do you do? And that's what I shout out to Allison Lover. But we hired Allison and she had the least amount of experience out of any applicant we had (laughs) that we were interviewing. And she knows us like we joke about it all the time. And she meshed well with us and she just was big culture fit. So Obviously, doing over a mill in business, you guys have to hire a lot of people to support that growth. So what's kind of your thoughts of A, how you guys find talent, B, how you make that final decision of who you guys decide to onboard? Yeah, we hire definitely. Like, and we're not, we've done really well hiring in the mm-hmm. past to get us to this point. We're in the process of kind of tweaking the way we go about it. We just have to with the size of our company. Right. But as we're got there, I think a big part of it was we just looked at it from a very startup perspective of like, we don't have to hire the way everybody else hires. Yep. Everybody else wants the job description. They want to pay somebody a salary. They want to make sure that they're responsible for A, B, and C things. And we looked at it like we hired no generalists, right? Everybody we hired Mm -hmm. is a specialist. They have their one specific role they play in the company. They only work when that role is around. And you know, we'll pay you on a retainer, whatever, like the deal we work out is. But when we've found people, we usually go, hey, we have a position open, mm-hmm. find a couple people who fit the spot. And we have some kind of, I guess you want to call it like demo, right? Like, can you do the job we're asking you to do? Copywriter, mock write a website, designer, draft us up a page for X, Y, and Z, you know, and just like, mm-hmm. look and see like, okay, this person understood communication well, they understood the design well, we like the end product, we like the way they work with us. And it's like, all right, great. We're going to pay you X amount per thing you do. And as we get more, you get paid more. It's finding somebody who obviously wants to work, I guess, in our style and in our culture fit sure. and everybody else works. But realistically, we're not finding anybody. It's like, all right, we're guaranteeing you X, Y, and Z amounts of work. We're just one like, can you do the job? And if you're really good at it, because we need you to be really good at it. And do you actually like working with our company? If you have those two things you're on. Right. Right. Like if you're going to improve our business with your work and you enjoy working here, that means we can grow with you as big as we want. And so I think we did it from like an opposite perspective where a lot of people are like, oh, we don't know if we can afford to hire somebody. And it's going to be like a risk to bring on, you know, a new employee. Like, well, let's make it zero risk to bring on a new employee and let's give them all the opportunity in the world to scale our company. And we've done that with almost every single person. Wow. Yeah. Or they haven't stuck around and that usually is a culture fit. Right, exactly. I love that. What do you think from your perspective is the biggest mistake business owners are making right now? Or what can they improve upon? Um, two, two things. One, they want to automate everything before they understand how to do it manually. Oh, interesting. They want their business to become easier because they quote unquote, don't have time. Um, they can't right. carry it out. But then when they're automating, if they've never done it manually, they don't know how it works. They don't know the tweaks and the bugs. They're really going to show in the automations, which are never going to work. They're not going to understand what parts they need to automate. Let's take an example to clarify this. Sure. Let's go like prospecting sales, even like marketing content. Mm-hmm. You want to hire somebody to write your marketing content for you. If you've never written all of your marketing content before, you don't know what your voice needs to be. You don't know what's going to work. You don't know what doesn't, which means you're going to go back and forth with that person who's writing your content. And you're not going to even know what's right or wrong. You're just going to ask them to do what you would do anyways. And if you know how to do it so well, don't waste your money, save half your time, (laughs) write it yourself and execute it. But I think that goes from everything from marketing content to like even systems operations. Like how can you have an automated sales process if you don't know what it's supposed to look like in the first place? Like you don't know which parts are hard and which parts are easy. So that's one thing is people try to automate before doing it manually. You should 100% understand your business from a manual standpoint from your end Mm -hmm. before you outsource or mitigate any part. The other thing is companies want to be data-driven, but they're being driven by the wrong data. 
Ooh. Now you have some kind of software or you're tracking something, but you can only measure your business based off the pieces that you track. Mm-hmm. Right. So, I mean, from my standpoint in marketing, we look at attribution. You get a ton of people that, let's say, like come to the website or we book free assessments. Most people's first thought is great. We're converting on the website. Let's drive a bunch of people to the website. Right. Well, if you don't ask how they heard about you or what made them pull the trigger to book the call, you don't have that data. You just assume the website's going to close them. When in reality, we're seeing the majority of those people that come through have found us on LinkedIn. They've been following our content for a while. They saw something we posted and they went to the website to bridge the gap, but the website wasn't the thing that sold them. Right. So if all of our content was driving them to the website, now they're not learning and being educated, which they needed to be to go to the website in the first place. So from a marketing standpoint, right? if you're not collecting that data of how people are actually acting you can't actually tweak your business to perform that way. You'd be performing off wrong data. So I think that's another piece you just like will see all the time or like, again, from a marketing standpoint, right? Marketers want to measure how successful marketing is based off quote unquote marketing metrics. Oh, we we have a newsletter. How many people signed up to the newsletter? How many people downloaded the Mm -hmm. email? How many people are following us on our social pages? Those are marketing metrics. The thing is, if you judge marketing based off marketing metrics... You're just ignoring the fact that at the end of the day, marketing has to improve business. Nobody cares about 100 new LinkedIn followers if none of them buy. Right. You know, you can tweak and optimize the marketing through the marketing metrics. You know if it's working based off the marketing metrics, but you should judge it based off the business metrics. So true. I love that. And I can't remember when you said this to me, but it's something I've relayed back to other business owners. Is It's like, be yourself with marketing. Mm-hmm. Like you want to swear, great. Or... And you are the inspiration for me to like post my, I post TikToks on LinkedIn and it gets me so much business. Yeah. It's like, well, those are ridiculous. I don't know if people really care. And Nick had said, just do it. Like your homework is to post TikToks. And every single time, I mean, out of 15 clients, one will say, I'm working with you because of your TikToks. And I'm like, excuse me, what? (laughs) But that's something I never thought of. And it's, you know, I spent so much time looking at my competition and yes, you know, always look at your competition and see what they're doing, but stop trying to do what they do because that's not who you are. Yeah. I mean, anyone listening to this knows me and knows that I'm a sarcastic person. I'm a no BS person. I'm a, like, I'm going to give you the honesty, but I'm going to help you get to that even when you feel, you're feeling down. And that's been reflected in our marketing and our metrics went up exponentially. We closed more business. Like, yes, we looked at the marketing metrics, but from how they came to following us to how they ended up being a client long-term. Or my favorite part is people that refer our business that have never even worked with us. They're like, I don't know, these chicks seem cool. Like, go work with them. And it's, <laughs> it's been awesome. So to your point, Nick, like, absolutely. I mean, that's something everyone tries to do what's cool or what's out there. And that's the same thing with looking for a job too. It's, it's all full circle. Stop doing what everyone else is doing. Do your own thing. Yeah, absolutely. It's just like so important. The authenticity and messaging a lot of people lose, right? Because they look around and right. go, hey, we're going to do what everybody else is doing. And people use the word authenticity as like a marketing buzzword. <laughs> all the time. And authenticity, like it's just something like you're either that person or you're not. Right. Around the aspect of like lead capturing, right? Like everybody wants a ton of leads. Right. Problem is most of those leads usually are low intent buyers or they're inauthentic leads because you posted something that's like, hey, come through my funnel. And now you have 100 people coming through your funnel, but only five are closing. Authenticity allows you, sure, the authenticity might scare a ton of people away. But what it's going to do is it's going to turn five out of every 100 to 15 out of every 20. Mm-hmm. So you take, you know, you're only getting 20 leads a month instead of 100, which looks like a lack of, you know, it's not working as well. We're losing all these numbers. But then you're like, oh, but these people who like me, really like me. And you go from low intent buyers to high intent buyers because they resonate with your message. They know that you understand them. They know you have a solution that's actually going to make their lives better. Mm -hmm. And they're ready to go as soon as they come through the door. Right? Like how much cold outreach do you do? I honestly don't do any right now because we have that many people. Yes. But that's the thing. Like the stuff you post, the things you talk about, who you are in public Mm -hmm. makes it really easy for somebody to go, will I like working with her or will I not? Oh, we close people all the time because of it, of just like, wow, someone just told me my resume needed to be rewritten and you're telling me I just need a few tweaks. So my honesty up front ends up thousands of dollars of business long term uh-huh. because they're referring people. They're like, because you're honest, we're getting this back. So, uh-huh. oh yeah, I swear a lot too. People like that. I'm a real person. So this is who I am all the time, <laughs> you know. 
my buddy, Finn Thormeyer, um, he lives out in Germany, actually, but he has this philosophy and I don't know if it's his or got it from somewhere else, but he taught it to me. And it's like the three sides of trust, right? So people have to trust that you're a subject matter expert, that you at least know what you're talking about. They have to trust that you're going to deliver on what you say you will so that there actually is the results that you promise. But that third one is they actually have to trust that they're going to enjoy the process of working with you. Yeah. Right. You can be the best company. You can deliver the best results. But if they don't have the, I'm actually going to enjoy working with this or working with this company. Like, I'm not going to do it. Me and you have talked about this before. I have a pretty strong rule of like, as far as customer experience goes, it has to be fun first. If it's not a good time, it's not worth doing. Yep. Always. And so I just think it's like the authenticity that you bring to your marketing is that last piece of proof of like, okay, she's posting results. She clearly knows what she's talking about. And she looks like she's a hell of a time. Which like, yeah, good makes your marketing just flush. <laughs> Hear that, guys. I'm a good time. See, I'm fun, fun and stuff. <laughs> but it is true. I love that. I, I actually follow Finn. I really like his. Uh, he was young in the game, too, when he started. Mm-hmm. Wasn't he like 22, yeah. 23? Yeah, he's a good dude. I've been following him on LinkedIn for a while, but that's awesome. Oh, yeah, he's sweet. Now, what would be your biggest piece of advice to someone who maybe feels stuck in their career, whether it's owning a business, whether it's looking for a job or what would be your biggest piece of advice? Start. Mm-hmm. Just start doing something because that's always the scariest piece. Like, oh, I'm stuck. I don't know what I want. It's like, you probably do. I talked to one of my buddies who's a coach. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we just like, we'll just connect. And he runs me through the ringer about making sure whether or not I'm clear on what I want out of my life. And he asked me of like, you know, like you want to move somewhere. Like if, like, where do you want to move? And I was like, I don't know. I don't know. And he's like, let's play a game. Like, Great. He's like, let's. <laughs> Let's just pretend you're going to move somewhere. Like, where would you go? And like, we just like broke it down and made it like zero, like no pressure, no risk. It wasn't a solidified decision, but it was like very clear through like, okay, let's just pretend you are going to leave tomorrow. Where are you going? But it's figuring that out. I like all of a sudden I ended up at this location. He was like, see, you know, but I think the same thing. If anybody who's like, like, I don't know what I want to do. It's like, okay, if you could do something tomorrow, if you could just like wake up and have a different life, what would that look like? Mm-hmm. And more often than not, that's actually a, pretty accurate assessment of like where you would be instead. But like I said, just starting is that point of, okay, I want to get to this other place. What is that first piece I need to do? Do I need to get a piece of knowledge? Do I need to go meet somebody? Do I need to make one phone call? Right. For a lot of people, it's different. Like maybe you just need to pay a bill. It's true. And like get that off your shoulders and like, oh, I'm not doing anything because this bill's not paid. Mm-hmm. Take care of it. Maybe it's a little bit more than you can afford, but like once that's over, you're already in motion of doing the thing where it like opens up. I use the metaphor of like standing at the bottom of a mountain. Like, I don't know if you're a hiker at all. Not really where I live, but you know, when we go on vacation, yes. I don't live in the UP, but you know. <laughs> well, I'm not even here, but like if I go out, like out West. Yes. Oh, the best. Mm-hmm. And it's always like you stand at the bottom and you're like, how are we going to get up there? And right. It's like you just start going. And by the time you're like 10 minutes into it, you're like, oh, we've covered like a pretty good amount of ground. And like mm-hmm. 45 minutes later, like you're way further than you thought you were. And I think it's like the first step is always the hardest. It's like perfect metaphor. So yeah, that's my piece of advice. And always look back forward. Mm-hmm. Like always look at like how far you've came and not how far you still have to go. Right. Totally different perspective. If I'm going to say anything positive about this pandemic is people have kind of figured out what they want to do. I mean, having the time to sit down and figure out what they want to do when they grow up. And that's what I ask people, too. I'm like, what do you want to do when you grow up? Or my thing I use is I'm a genie. I grant you a wish. What does that perfect job look like for you? Uh And the answers people, I mean, I just talked to a guy who's a 20 year FBI agent or something like super cool. And he's like, I have an interest in watches. I started this watch business, but I'm not sure. And The website was beautiful. I mean, I don't know if it get your approval, but it was just like things that don't go together. I mean, I have two psychology degrees and I'm a resume writer. I mean, it helps, you know, coaching people, but it's okay that you don't know what you want to do and you want to say screw it and quit tomorrow and do something else. I mean, there was a meme. It was like, okay, in four years, you'll be 36. So why not just start in four years? be 36, have a business. I mean, it's, it's the truth too. So, and that's like my biggest thing is I wish I would have started sooner. Hindsight's 2020. We're good, but. Yeah. But look at all the stuff. Like it's cliche to even say, but like, okay, everything I've been through, like taught me what I needed to know to do this. Right. Like anything from like bad jobs to bad relationships to whatever. It's like, oh yeah. Yeah. What a waste of time. But like, not really because 
you just, you know, like you're so much more clear right. on what, like if you can figure out what you don't want, it's a lot easier to pinpoint what you do. Exactly. Oh, that was a good one. I was, that was a perfect piece of advice, but <laughs> I love that. Now going back in time, Nicholas, if you could go oh, back to no. being 18, 18 years old, what would you tell yourself? I was a terrorizer. <laughs> I, was, I know you were having fun in college at that point, right? Yeah. Yeah. 18. I'd definitely be along the lines of like, don't stress experience everything. I like that. Like, I think I did a pretty good job of like experiencing everything <laughs> of like, you know, pretty much right. failing out of college to like understanding mm-hmm. what that was like and just like having to be on my own and like figuring stuff out and going through the motions. I think I spent a lot of time during such great moments of stressing about whether or not they would work out. Right. Very rarely do things like go south for a majority of people. Like, yeah, sure. It happens sometimes and it's a bummer and I get that. But like at the same time, I was like, you know, everything did work out. I wish I would have spent a little bit more time, like really, really enjoying those pieces or like learning moments. Mm-hmm. That was kind of like the point of me writing my book last year was like reflecting on what those were sure. and being able to just like, okay, look how beneficial this was. But yeah, I was like, okay, you're not going to school for the next six months. How much fun are you about to have? Right. It's like all of it. Instead of stressing <laughs> about whether or not I'm going to go back to school in the fall, whatever it was. Right. But yeah, definitely just like living full in moment and do interesting shit. Do interesting shit. Should make shirts that say that. I'd buy one. Yeah, that's my number one motto is live an interesting life. I like that. That's true. When are you going to write another book? I did read it. I loved it, but I want more. When are you going to write another one? Oh, if I write another book, it won't even be close to the same like style as that. It's... I don't know. I have a few in the works. I'm writing a coffee table book right now. Ooh. It's art. It's not like literature. Nick takes beautiful pictures and is a phenomenal photographer. I learned that not too long ago. So <laughs> you're just like the man of many interesting things. Did you ever read those blogs I did once like last year? Yes. I want to do like a coffee table book, like one of those like big, stupid hardcover ones that like are actually impossible to read. Like they're not functional books right. at all. <laughs> they're fun though. Yeah. You look like a little kid with like a book. Yeah. When you're reading it. Yeah. And so I want to do one where it's just like coffee review after coffee review after coffee review. Oh. And so you can just like swipe through and read them because like those, you know, those were fun. Like I rated coffee on everything but the taste. Right. Yep. <laughs> I love them. <laughs> yeah. I had so much fun and like people enjoyed reading them and they would send me coffee and I was like, screw it. Somebody should just have this like coffee book that has like a hundred different coffees in it that you could just like read through, get the rankings, have a laugh, pick away at it, whatever. So I'm going to write that before I write my next book. And I've kind of started being in the process, but. I love that. Yeah, it'll be fun. <laughs> oh, I can't wait to read that. We need a new coffee table book. So that'll be perfect. Awesome. Now, this is something I get asked a lot. And especially people like friends that don't have an interest in being a business owner. How do you personally deal with difficult customers or customers that are just like, you know, just grind your gears? How do you deal with them? Ooh, um, truthfully, sometimes just let them go. Yeah. I'm a pretty firm believer that like me and David butt heads on this a lot. Like he's <laughs> like money's money. And I'm like, I get it. You have to operate a business. And I'm like, especially in my personal work, I'm very much like, if this brings me more stress than benefit, you're gone. Mm-hmm. They can't be enjoying it either. Right. Right. If that, if that becomes the case. So sometimes it's very rare, but like you just, you cut them. The other way to do it is it's a skill, but learning how to manage them. Sure. Right. And I think everything comes down to managing expectations. If a customer is upset, it's because you didn't manage expectations at the front and it becomes your fault as a business owner. Right. There should be no reason that a customer, if you know how to fulfill and you know how to do your job and everything right, it's did you manage expectations on what was going to be expected and what was going to be delivered? So a lot of that with difficult clients is even resetting like halfway through the process. Mm-hmm. And if somebody comes like, look, we are pissed off at this, it's like, okay, let's revisit what we talked about prior to this. Right. Let's make sure that like, we did state this. And if we didn't, then you can figure it out. But instead of admitting fault and saying like, hey, we know we messed up, it becomes very solution oriented, right? You don't want to start the midst of a solution to say, yeah, you're right. I'm sorry. We suck. You want to go, okay, you're pissed. Let's figure out what the solution is. And after everything is back and even again, and you're on, on the road to a successful path, then you can go, you know what, looking back at it, we really should have done this differently. I'm so sorry that, you know, we came to where we good. I'm glad we're on a straight path and going forward towards success. Let's just focus on that and get you there. Right. It becomes a lot of managing expectations and being solution oriented mm-hmm. and not necessarily putting it on the client. Yeah. You're going to have tough clients if the way it goes. You 
try to avoid them in the future. But realistically, like I said, 80% of business success is systems. And if you have strong systems in place and you know the process and you're going to fulfill on the product, there should be no reason that there's misaligned expectations or unhappy customers. I love that. And that's, people are like, what? You fire customers? That's crazy. But we do the same thing. I mean, you said it perfectly. I don't even have anything to add to it, but it's the same thing. It's, it's, if it's not worth your time or the disrespect to your coworkers or your employees being a business owner, I mean, it's just, it's not worth it. Well, realistically, they become more expensive too, because the unhappy customers usually want to put things up for review. They drag out process. They're probably pretty slow to respond for revisions when you need certain things. Right. And it's like, okay, they probably paid you less than your other clients are paying you. Their project's taking three times as long. So now it's not worth your time or your money. Right. It's honestly a business decision to save some cash. Right. Or like people don't look at too, it's, I think this a lot. Um, we have like a rate we want to be at ideally of like we're making X amount of money per hour. So if you're having these phone calls with these clients, like time is money. We are going to keep saying that. Like you said, it ends up being worse in the long run. I love that. Yeah. Um, I just was working with a client because of like the time is money thing. Right. Like, man, days just seem to be getting away with me. And I was like, cut every single one of your meeting times in half. Mm-hmm. Cut your 60s to 30s, cut your 30s to 15 minutes, and cut your 15 minutes to 10. It's true. And watch your calendar absolutely like just open up. And then put everything back to back. So your six hours of meetings today now becomes 8 to 11 in the morning. And then you're done. And it's beautiful. Yeah. No, we did that. We actually, I cut back my resume sessions by 15 minutes just 15 minutes and it makes all the world of a difference and it's a lot more time to do things. So that was from a inspired from you, but Perfect. I like that. <laughs> okay, good. Now, a lot of people kind of ask this too, what are you guys seeing in this market right now? I mean, obviously for me, like everyone's quitting their job and doing what they want, but what are you guys kind of seeing with it? Honestly, it's been really, really good for us. Um, good. I don't know that I see anything like particular that stands out. Sure. But I don't know. We just didn't hit a slump. We've just said we've excelled over the last year. Things are going well. Like usually if people don't have money to afford us and there's an issue there, most likely it's not just because of like, they don't have clients, they don't have money. Like it's usually just like something else they're working out and a website's not their best investment, right? Sales or something else is going to be to make sure there's money in the door to afford us. But like, yeah, I don't know. We're working with people who also seem to be in the same position we are of like really cruising over the last few years. Right. It's obvious, I think money spend on services to grow business is pretty prevalent right now. Like there's a lot <laughs> of investment going yes. on. People are willing to just be like, hey, we're, we want to grow our business. We're willing to take a chance. And I think a lot of it comes down to who you're picking. Mm-hmm. I guess from a buyer's journey point of view, we kind of touched on this earlier about like how much you have to educate your customers on the forefront. But like people are buying from people who are willing to educate them the most. Right. Right. Like if you can prove specifically or not prove, but get them to trust that, hey, even if this costs eleven thousand dollars, there's this ROI and look how much better your life is going to be. Right. People are willing to say yes to that. So I think it's a lot less of having to do is like people aren't willing to buy. I think people are buying a lot, but they're being much more conscious about the decisions they're making. That makes sense. I like that. Like if you don't give them what they want, they're just going to go find it somewhere else. Right. The market's a busy place. Oh, yeah. We talk about this with your marketing and mm-hmm. how much free shit can you give out? All of it. Like if somebody else is like, give me your email and maybe we'll have a free consultation or a $20 consultation. You're like, hey, don't even book the consultation. If you need this help, like it's here, but here's the recipe. Right. And it's just like, it's such a different approach, but that's what's going to make somebody be like, oh, this is obviously something I should pull the trigger on. Sure. Versus like, that's not worth my money. <laughs> it's true. Or that, I mean, for some people, 11 grand is one client and that, I mean, you fulfilled the ROI on that. I mean, that's no brainer there. Easy peasy, exactly. But is your product too expensive or did they just not see the value? Two totally different conversations. Right. I mean, we've upped our prices a few times and we just did it again per your recommendation. And it's the same thing. It's like, oh, okay, people are seeing the value and like we offer unlimited edits or we do this. And it's, yeah, people see the value or people don't want to be bothered with doing things. Like I have yeah. zero interest in ever doing a website again. I did that when I started my business and I was like, Mm-mm. I remember, I remember sitting there. I'm like, you just turned out your resume rescue one in like a week. I know. <laughs> it was great. They turned it out because I had uh, other issues with someone else doing it, but Wow. I can't wait. And you guys can't. Oh my gosh. By the time this is recorded and out there, they'll be able to see it. How exciting. 
Yeah, if you get me the stuff we need so we can. I know. I'm getting to it. Okay. Jesus. I hate him, guys. If you work with Nick, he's going to yell at you a lot, just so you know. Just so you know. It's what you asked for. I know. I did. I put in the notes. I said, please yell at me and kick my ass into doing things. So that is, I think, quote for quote what I said. So I get it. (laughs) All these things you're doing, what kind of motivates you to keep going? And do you ever face imposter syndrome? Like you got a killer support system and not, not many people have, but... Do you ever have imposter syndrome? Do you ever have those days of like, I don't know, I'm not feeling it today or anything like that? Used to face imposter syndrome a lot. Okay. And I think it came from like, obviously like left an agency. Sure. I was self-employed. I was doing things incredibly different than what we were doing in that agency. And I was thinking different and trying to figure things out. Right. And I was like, oh, did I make the right decision? (laughs) Um, And I think now just like watching everything work out. I'm much more confident to be like, you know what? Different always wins. It does. Well, different for the right reasons always wins. Let me rephrase that. Sure. If it's with the right intent and, you know, to carry out the right thing. So my imposter syndrome is essentially gone. Mm -hmm. There are days that I definitely get like burned out. Like, yeah, Yeah. I do a lot of shit and I'm pretty busy. But yeah, it's like that burnout just comes from like, it's my own fault. It's never that I have too much on my shoulders. It's that I'm not carrying it properly. Mm -hmm. Right. Like I'm not taking the time for myself. I'm not like my systems are screwed up where all of a sudden I'm doing something for four hours that should have taken me 30 minutes. Okay. It just like comes down to that. But I can't remember whose quote it was. I even put it in a LinkedIn post and it's facing me, but it was like, yeah, it's never that the load is too heavy. It's just the way that you're carrying it that breaks you. So it's like just changing. Like, yeah, I have all these things on my plate. What's the easiest way to go about it to make sure everything is done the right way in the perfect amount of time. And it's not stress. Like who do I need to hire? What can I just get rid of off my plate on a day-to-day basis? Right. Yeah. I think with all the stuff I'm doing, imposter syndrome, I truly believe comes from a lack of preparation. Yeah. If you're not convicted in what you're doing, why you're doing it. Yeah, of course. The second that somebody says something to you, you're going to be like, am I actually good enough to do this? Right. But if you're prepped and you truthfully know your stuff and you've helped people and you're watching at work, like the more you prepare, the more confident you're going to be. And I think a lot of people don't prepare mm-hmm. out of fear of spending two months preparing, getting in the ring and then flopping and being like, well, what a waste of two months. So they don't. And then they get up there and then they have imposter syndrome because they haven't spent any time preparing. Right. So, yeah, I guess that's like, it's probably my biggest take on it. If like, if you don't want to feel underprepared, overprepared, and just like spend the time to eat the dirt and do it. Right. Now, I used to have a big problem with it and I forgot who told me this or where I read it or whatever it was, but it's, and I just got off the phone with a friend who said the same thing. Like, do you think there's a market for what I want to do? And I said, well, yeah, the market's saturated. Like how many resume writers are in there in the world? How many website developers? There's thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, but there's no you in the market. Yeah. To your points again of being yourself, marketing yourself, be who you are and people like you, which is why they want to buy from you. I mean, We worked with 800 people last year and looking at the numbers was insane. And I mean, you guys too, with how much money you did in business and, or just looking at referrals. I I know you guys kill it with referrals too, but that speaks wonders to your business of like, Hey, someone trusts you enough or had such great things to say that they're referring complete strangers to you. And that's always the biggest compliment to me, but yeah, I love that. mm -hmm. Referrals feel the best. They are. And they're, I feel like they're always the best clients most of the time. And they're just always so kind and. We really love our referrals too. I think too, where people will argue with me of like, oh, LinkedIn, I don't know. And you, the cool thing is that my newsfeed is comprised of a lot of individuals like myself and yourself where we're sarcastic, we're out there, we're honest. And you can make like your social medias reflect that. I don't follow the whole like quit your job and everything's sunshine and rainbows and you'll make so much money in five months. Like I don't follow that shit. But it is. It is fun. Yeah. But, you know, I'm telling the story of like, hey, I was scrubbing toilets while I was building my business at night. So, yeah. It's the same thing. Don't compare yourself to others because there's lingering variables of like, hey, mommy and daddy gave us some money to get our business started. Or, you know, it's just like, whatever. I'll get off my soapbox. Yeah. Or somebody had just like a kick-ass idea and it just happened to work out. Like that happened. Like that does happen too. Right. There's so many people on like, like I hate LinkedIn. I love it. I hate (laughs) it. There's so many people out there. I'm just like, you gotta stop posting. I don't want to hear this shit. It's true. It's true. 
remember you went on that hiatus and I'm like, no, Nick, come on, just keep posting. Yeah. I was so sick of it. Everybody was like shooting for engagement and I was like, get out of here with your lack of value. I can't be here. <laughs> it's so true. I just want people to be genuine. Like that's authentic. Thought. I know you love yeah. that word. The authenticity. Are they thought leaders too? Let's just use all the buzzwords in the industry, right? (laughs) I love it. I think that's the issue with a lot, even in marketing, especially in marketing and business owners of like, this is my book, actually. Um, You don't have to be the expert. Right. Right. People assume they need to be the expert in order to be valuable, in order to be credible, in order to get business, that they have to be smarter than the next person. Right. This like ultimately is not true for the sake of like your expertise lies basically like in your willingness to accept your perspective. Sure. Like you said, there's no you in the market, right? There's going to be two resume writers, but one's going to come at it from a completely different angle, barring their experiences, just like you are considering your experiences. Right. You guys are going to not deliver the same result. And one of you is going to resonate with one client and the other one's going to resonate with the other. Right. And that's fine. And people come to the marketing and talk about their business. They're like, oh, look how much stuff I know. It's like, great. You don't know me as the audience. Right. Right. You're not resonating with who I am, what I struggle with, what solution I'm looking for. You're trying to tell me how smart you are. Then you create some bullshit LinkedIn post or marketing funnel to try and get me to click because you're quote unquote credible. Right. It's like, but you don't understand me. So it's not that you have to be the expert. You just have to really be the expert on your client. Because if you can understand who your client and customer is, the way you fulfill is just going to fall in place where everybody tries to do the, what they do, be the expert there and then somehow figure out who their client is. Right. And it never works. Mm -mm. Nope. And that goes back to, I think, yeah, we had talked about this of like, talk to your customers, talk to what they want, why they go with you over competition. Or, I mean, I, I'm usually fighting with five, six other competitors for when people put in service requests for my business for resume writing and, Every time. And I ask, like, why'd you go with me? Your personality. You showed your expertise. You're a recruiter. You know, it's not like I'm like, I am the best there ever is. Or no one is that. I'm like, no, listen, do this, do that. And I guarantee results. Yeah. I n- you never guarantee. Yeah. That's the thing. But it's another topic for another podcast. But yes. <laughs> okay. As we wrap up here, a few other questions for you, Nick. What is a fun fact about you? Hmm. I got one for you. Oh, boy. He's a Zamboni driver. I did drive a Zamboni for about two years. Yes, Zamboni driver, rink manager. That was, those were the days. Those were the days. Other fun facts. Yeah. Hopeless romantic. That's a pretty big one. Oh. Oh, yeah. We love Hallmark movies. <gasps> what? What are you looking for in a lady friend? Maybe maybe a listener can be a potential one. Ooh, ooh, ooh. We said our joke was, I'm going to make him a resume for his dating life. <laughs> <laughs> it could be a good market. I could do it. It'd be great. Most important aspect in girls that I seek to date. Yes. Independence, probably. Okay. Confident. No, confidence is it. Confidence, confidence is has got to be it. Yeah. Don't do well with lack of confidence. It's got to be there. Interesting. I like that. Mm-hmm. Hear that, lady friends or friends of lady friends? Hook uh, Nicholas up here. We love that. Perfect. Cool. All right. And our last question, where can our listeners find you? What's the best way to follow you, to reach out to you if they need websites? Depends what you're looking for. Um, if you want more marketing and business stuff, LinkedIn's fine. If you want photos of me drinking Moto Lights at weddings, Instagram will <laughs> yes. be your place. He cleans up nice, ladies. He does. I was like, damn, who is that man? <laughs> Outside of my hats and hoodies on a regular basis. <laughs> your hats and hoodies, right? <laughs> yeah. So they're two totally different markets. Okay. I think there's more NUMA stuff on Instagram, like yep. at NUMA Media. Our Instagram crushes. I actually like our Instagram content more than our LinkedIn content, but our market is more on LinkedIn, which is just a total bummer. So Maybe one day. I, I love it. Okay. All of those will be linked. Nick, thank you, thank you, thank you for pushing me to do this and just making me pull the trigger on this. Do you want my questions for you quick? Oh, you have questions for me? Hell yeah. Let's do yeah, it. Do. Okay. You want to flip this. I do like doing switch interviews yeah i have three they could be pretty quick okay who's your biggest business influence right now (sighs) i love sarah blakely she's the owner of spanx she's been in the business 21 years started in her apartment just and she just sold it so for those of you that don't know she sold it it for two billion dollars or something ridiculous and as a thank you to her employees she gave them each two plane tickets wherever they want to go in the world and 10 grand 
Like she just practices what she preaches and she's had a lot of those employees from day one. So she's super big scale level and I love her story. She's mad inspiring and I just would love to be at that point at one at one point. So that's awesome. I'd say Sarah Blakely. I, I love that woman to pieces. That's awesome. Okay. Um, what's the most impactful thing that you've done recently? Oh, let's see. What are you most proud of? I'm really proud of doing this podcast because I had the idea. I mean, I had a client tell me two, three years ago, like, you need to have a podcast. And the joke with my family was always like, oh, my God, you should have your own talk show. Like, you'd be a great talk show host because I, I love doing this. So I'm really proud of doing this. We just started a newsletter and just seeing at what very large lofty goals we have for this year. So I'm excited to look back and hopefully we achieve them all. But just really proud of doing the damn thing. Just uh, keep going. You're executing. I'm executing. Right. It's people's biggest hang up. I always notice that in businesses of like, yeah, we have all these ideas. We have all these opportunities. We have this big team, but we can't execute. Right. And it's, it's hard. I mean, you have to finish. You have to. I mean, it's been especially, I mean, I'm going to say, oh, with the new year five days in, but I've worked till eight to 10 o'clock every night just to get like those set ideas off the ground of like, I don't know how to do a podcast. Like, is the microphone going to work? Are the headphones going to work? Like, I'm 80 years old, I swear. But it works out. And it's fun. Like, I'm I'm mad inspired. It's just like executing, getting things off the ground and seeing the return on them is super cool, too. That's awesome. Thank you. Sweet. And then last thing is, what's the most recent thing that's made you like, bust out laughing? Oh, God. Like a true, genuine, like, fired you up. Well, let's see. There's, there, I, I'm a huge TikTok fan. Like I'm addicted. I'm the addicted millennial to TikTok. It's fine. We admit our faults. There's this woman on there right now who impersonates men doing the bare minimum. So it's like these guys who are just like, you know, looking at the camera all sensual and she's like duetting it and doing the same thing. And she dresses like them and I lose my mind. Like they're just so funny or... um again, TikTok, but I actually made a friend out of it was commenting on her videos of she's just like the hustle, hustle culture of like, just hustle and like be a boss babe and do all this. And she's like, you're all wrong. And you're all stupid. And let me tell you why. And she's just like a badass. So Hmm. I'm gonna see if I might get her on the podcast. So we'll see if she comes on. Awesome. Yeah, I make myself laugh too. Like I watch my own TikToks. I'm like, damn, Angela, like you funny. You're funny as hell. So I'm my own biggest fan, you know? (laughs) that's awesome this was so much fun this was fun it wasn't as scary as i thought it would be so no you crushed it too like it was a very fluid conversation i'm so excited for you to continue to do these thank you we'll see we get to look back this is this is the og this is number one i can't wait to be a return guest you will be a return guest and we'll be like oh remember back in the day when we started this we'll have accents randomly too you know it's fine. <laughs> we'll have to, we have to get one. Yes. Yeah. I got it. I could do a good Italian one with my family. So we'll do that. But Nick, you are so lovely. I get so inspired talking with you every single time. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Keep listening, guys. Thank you. If you're looking for a career change and you're not sure where to start, the Resume Rescue can help. Sure, there's no such thing as the perfect fit for everyone, but here at The Resume Rescue, we're on a mission to find the perfect solution for you. Whether it's changing careers, updating a resume, learning LinkedIn, or practicing interviewing, we have you covered. Find us online at theresumerescue.com and find all of our contact info in our show notes.